Um, Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of Modern Life. I'm here with Jason from the Future Cities podcast. Hello. We're going to be talking about Encounters at the End of the World. It's our first documentary that we're doing. It's a movie from 2007. But before we get started, Jason, what's on your mind? Uh, yeah, so I cannot stop thinking about the world record egg Instagram accounts. Uh, I, I had I had never heard of this. Yeah, so <laughs> unfortunately, I mean, it doesn't make you any uh, better of a person or uh, it, it is a total waste of your time <laughs> to know about it anyway. But I follow weird people on Twitter uh, and this was, you know, lighting up uh the tweets uh, like what a week and a half ago or something and uh yeah so the world record egg account is just an image of an egg on a white background on instagram uh and let me pull up the actual language of the first post uh to let you know how inspiring this thing is so Wait, it's, um, when, when was the first post like how long ago was this Oh, so January 4th. So I guess this thing has been around for a while, which is probably why oh it was big enough to eventually garner a, uh, a an article on The Atlantic. But yeah, I mean, the first post of this thing is, and I'm quoting here, let's set a world record together and get the most liked post on Instagram, beating the current world record held by Kylie Jenner, 18 million. We got this. Uh, hashtag like the egg, hashtag egg soldiers, hashtag egg gang. And so <laughs> again... This is just a picture of uh, like a kind of brown speckled egg. It's not a charismatic egg uh, on a white background, just kind of begging people for likes. Uh, and it worked. It got like over 52 million. I mean, close to th uh, 53 million likes. So obviously uh, beating the hell out of Kylie Jenner's post. Uh, by the time the, the article uh on the Atlantic about it, uh, people were just losing their minds. And like anyone from, uh, am I allowed to say the F word on this? I feel like I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can, yeah. Uh, any account from like uh, Fuck Jerry. Do you know the, the Fuck Jerry accounts? No, I don't. So <laughs> I don't, I'll get into this maybe eventually. But okay, so <laughs> Fuck Jerry is this Instagram account that literally just posts uh, stolen content from, from, you know, funny people on Twitter or, uh, you know, old vines and stuff like that. Uh, and they've just become like a huge enterprise basically. Uh, and like, and they're called Jerry media, but anyway, so like this group was like trying to, uh, they approached the egg account and like, we're asking them to, uh, uh, or like they pitched an idea to that the egg would hatch and then like a miniature Donald Trump in a, a chicken suit would jump out. Uh, and then the words impeach Trump would appear in the egg as Trump did the chicken dance. Uh, and like that's very specific <laughs> and total nonsense, too. Um <laughs> Yeah, and like, you know, there are people talking about how, you know, the egg is worth, and I'm quoting here, the uh, the egg is worth at least $10 million, and I'm quoting Nick Sharma, the head of the digital agency uh, VaynerMedia's direct-to-consumer business. People were talking about, like, announcing presidential candidacies, like, with the egg. Uh, just total insanity. Uh, and all that happened with the egg was, like, it got progressively more cracked, and then on Super Bowl weekend, so, like, what, February 1st? a pair of like stitches like on a football appeared on the side of the egg. So, you know, good brand synergy. Oh, there's also um, uh, a link to the Hulu account. Uh, so I guess they must have gotten some bank doing that. And then uh, there is a video that they posted for the hatching. And literally all that happens is like a pair of eyes appear on the egg and then the egg cracks and then collapses and then it talks about, like, there's text that says uh, something about how, you know, if you're feeling the pressure of social media and, like, having an online presence, then, you know, go visit these mental health uh, information and service links, basically. So, I mean, just insanity following this thing and, like, reading the article on The Atlantic about it. And once again, uh, I feel like you should look this up at some point. I think it's just called World Record Egg with, um, yeah, World Record Egg with underscores in between the words. Uh, but, I mean, the hype around it was crazy. And then reading that people were like, well, I mean, the account is worth at least $10 million. And people telling people they shouldn't even advertise at the Super Bowl, but instead should, like, 
try to get inside that dang egg. Uh, just, I don't know what, how the world works anymore. I mean, it's basically all this gets down to. It's all I can think about. I don't know why I'm in what I'm in. <laughs> if I can just make money on an egg account begging for likes. Do you think it's a commentary because it's such a plain image on how these likes don't mean anything in the digital world? Or is it like we're just reading into it like it's not as deep as <laughs> yeah, I'm trying I, to find meaning in the egg. I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's so many questions I have about it. We're like how there wasn't like uh, a big name account attached to it. So whoever did this you know, knew how to game the algorithms to get likes and so forth. So who knows? Maybe it was part of like a broader vision uh, <laughs> that had some like deepness to it. Cause I don't know how you get 52 million likes on a thing. I mean, like there are nature photographers who I follow. My Instagram feed is like mostly nature photographers. Uh, and you know, I like pulled up the first post and a ton of them had liked the stupid egg. And like, these are all like 50, 60 year old nature photographers. It's like, what, what are, what is happening? How does this happen? Like people just want to be part of the moment, the dang egg account. All right. Anyway. Um, did you want to do your other one? What is this? What is the fire festival you were telling uh, me about? Yeah. What so is that? The fire, is it like Burning Man? Uh, fire festival was, uh the product and i'm already forgetting the guy's name uh because i've been studying too much for exams where now i have replaced this person's name with like a famous scientist um but anyway so there's this uh i don't even know how the business world works or marketing works or anything like this but basically this guy uh claimed to have gotten or claimed to have bought an island uh that um Gosh, who was it? Pablo Escobar used to own. I don't remember if it's Pablo Escobar or El Chapo, but, you know, uh, some huh. drug kingpin. Uh, and then they thought to have, like, you know, the the coolest party uh, ever for, you know, uh, wealthy young people. They got a bunch of um, Instagram models, uh, like, down to the island and shot a commercial for it. Uh, and then, you know, started raising money. And it just got way out of hand. Uh, who was it? Ja Rule was part of it, uh, like doing hype for it and, you know, actually pretty well involved. Uh, fuck Jerry Media. I'm sorry. So Jerry Media the, and the, uh, that are, is attached to the, the Fuck Jerry account uh, was also doing promotion for this. And anyway, long story short, it ended up being just a huge disaster uh, where they didn't get any of like the housing finished in time for people to show up. Uh, catering was a nightmare. I mean, they had like... Um, you know, just like open face sandwiches with like a slice of bologna and cheese. And I mean, people were paying like over $10,000 to fly out to this <laughs> island uh, to go to this festival that was supposed to be the premier music festival. Oh, well, all the tents got rained on uh, the like night beforehand. So people showed up and like, you know, their luxury tents or whatever, like the mattresses are just soaked along with like all the sheets and pillows and stuff. Just classic. Uh, like, if it was an intentional grift, I would be really happy about it, honestly, because it's just for, <laughs> like, you know, uh, a lifestyle and kind of person I, I can't even begin to relate to. Uh, but it wasn't. Instead, it was just, like, uh, a bunch of marketing uh, weirdos who, like, you know, shot for the moon and fell way, Man. way short. It, I mean, sounds like the, it sounds like the when they did the Olympics. Where was it? In Russia? And oh, it was yeah, just... yeah. <laughs> the Sochi Olympics, yeah. Um, yeah, but there's two documentaries out about it, one on Hulu, one on Netflix, and so... Oh, um... no, 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 I did see the picture for it. Yeah. Now I it's mean... ringing a bell. Yeah, 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 there was something on Hulu. Yeah, you should yeah. you should watch at least one of them. Uh, I've heard people say, like, watching both of them is totally worth it, which tells you how cathartic it is to see a bunch of people who, you know, are willing to pay, like, $10,000 have to, like uh reckon with wet bedding and like a bologna sandwich uh it, <laughs> it so feels amazing. pretty good <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome yeah anyway what do you got um so my thing is i was reading in the new york times and there's a few articles about this actually it's about the classicist emily wilson uh -huh. Um, she is the first woman to translate the Odyssey into English, oh. which is 
which is amazing to me. Like I, there have been 60 translations into English and they've all been done by men, which is like, I, I can't believe it took until 2019 for somebody to translate this into English. I find that absolutely fascinating. Um, and like her style of translation is very, um, they had a few examples of it and I have never, I, this is one of those things that's just in social consciousness and you sort of know about Odysseus and his journey, but I've never actually read it. Yeah, um, same, never. Yeah, and yeah, her, her style is really, she doesn't try to make it rhyme or like comply with like a meter or anything, which I really appreciate because I think it, um, that way you can be a little bit truer to the translation instead of fitting it into these like English molds. Um, but then also what I thought was interesting is that a lot of translations don't acknowledge the fact that, um, he has these female slaves on his island where he lives and they're always translated into girls or maidservants or it just completely kind of glosses over the fact, um, that these women who then later get murdered by his son Telemachus, um, like in some translations and even calls them like whores and none of it shows kind of like a misogynistic take on the original text because she's like it doesn't say whores in the original text but obviously someone in some century like their views on women's behavior has kind of influenced the translation um so I feel like once she's done with it this might be actually something I finally get to read because it sounds I don't know, fascinating to read, like, her take on it. Yeah, that sounds uh, interesting. And it's weird thinking, like, yeah, so one, it could be, like, a misogyny sort of thing. But I also like the idea of, uh, who who wrote the Odyssey? Was it? Yeah, Homer, right? Am I crazy? Okay. Yeah, that's what I, I thought as well. I like the idea of somebody being like, well, we have to be gentle with the image of Homer. Like, you know, this guy is long dead. <laughs> the idea of, like, <laughs> Let's be clear. He did not have slaves. He just had whores or whatever on the island. Right. So, yeah, like, that that is strange. Who's protecting the this uh the reputation of Homer? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Um but yeah, I think we're ready to dive into the main topic, right? Yeah, let's do it. Um this is my first Werner Herzog film. I've is never it? Yeah. I don't. I was going through his like thing on IMDb, and I was like, I know these movies. I have never seen a single one of these. Oh man. Uh, well, okay. If I can, I ask the first question, even though this is your podcast. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. How weird is his English accent to you, with someone it's, who is also? It's from... weird. It's <laughs> um, so. I, I had to look it up because I thought he was Austrian when I first heard his accent, but it's just he's from Bavaria, so he has a really like like southern twang, I guess you would say. It's mm-hmm. it's really strong, <laughs> and he narrates the whole film. Um, so <laughs> this film is about him going to McMurdo Station, which is kind of an entry point into um, Antarctica. And it's sort of half about the people who would want to choose to live there and half about the organisms and creatures, would you say? Yeah, um, he originally kind of frames it as being he just wants to talk to the people. So it almost sounds like his intention was an ethnography or something more along those lines. But yeah, he kind of. Uh... But, but he's so but he's so bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but like he'll interview somebody and then he just cuts. It's just his voiceover, like cutting into them being like, well, that's not that interesting. Here's a summary. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, you didn't have to do that. You could have like cut away and then had your voice. Like you didn't have to like put their talking in the background. Yeah, he's he's not very kind to his interview subjects. I'm glad you brought that up. I have so many examples of that uh from here um i don't know if you have a specific route that you want to take uh with talking about this but yeah no just go ahead he's so funny yeah i guess uh when you asked what i wanted to to watch and i had to like think about nature documentaries 
this is the one that stuck out among all of them as being, I don't know, compelling beyond just like, look at the cool animals, which, you know, I can certainly talk about for a long time. But Werner Herzog is such a bizarre person uh, that every documentary he makes kind of ends up being about him, uh, which, ah, maybe, okay. <laughs> which maybe is true of so many of pretty much all documentaries, but it seems more especially obvious with um, Werner Herzog. Did you so you never saw Grizzly Man then where he um, No, what's that one about? Oh man, it's the one where uh he is fall or I'm sorry, he finds all this footage from this one person. Um shoot, I'm so upset I can't remember this person's name. Uh he's this guy was like a failed actor or a struggling actor um from Los Angeles, and then I don't remember the series of events that led him to do it, but he uh just decided to start flying up to Alaska and uh, just watch out over these grizzly bears uh, to, you know, ostensibly to like protect them from uh, poachers. So there's all this footage of this guy like living around grizzly bears uh, in Alaska. Um, And, you know, it's like beautiful footage and the person's just a really strange guy. Like what is the pathway that leads from failed actor to grizzly bear watchman? Who's not getting paid for it, by the way. Uh, huh. This is like all volunteer hours that he's uh, doing. And uh, at, like, I mean, the the ending of the film is him and uh, his girlfriend uh, getting eaten uh, by grizzly bears. What? There's, no, there's no video. There's no video footage. There is audio, but uh, Werner Herzog won't even play the audio. Uh, and there's this scene where he like, I think he's talking with the mother who has a copy of the audio uh and werner listens to it and there's like a shot of him listening to it and you know looking increasingly unsettled and nauseous or whatever and then he puts the headphones down and then tells the mother like you need to destroy the audio or whatever i don't think she herself had ever listened to it um so Uh, oh god yeah i mean it's a fascinating documentary but it's also like very werner herzog we're just like you know, dude, you're making a documentary about this. Like, you don't, we're all here because we know this person gets eaten. It's a strange thing that you're not only, one, not letting us hear the audio, and number two, you're telling the mother to destroy this, like, documentation of it, which, I don't know, you know, maybe it's healthy, but one of those weird things of, like, Werner Herzog rescuing people and knowing the right thing to do in, like, various situations. Yeah, that is strange, and that we're also then just watching his reaction to it yeah footage right i don't know yeah we're still spectating it like it's not even though it's like such a principled stance because you know now we just have like a third hand account basically so it yeah it's just like weird choices like that that you know always make me watch a werner herzog documentary although when i was looking through netflix he's done a lot that i would never watch probably he did one on like texting and driving uh, you know, just like really pedestrian kind of stuff that I, I don't think you could hold my interest even with Werner Herzog at the helm. Um, so this and this movie is my nightmare. There's a reason why there's a reason why I moved to California. Just w- watching these people live in the cold all the time. It was it was difficult. I was like, oh, like I hate being cold. Like I can't imagine being like, let, let's go live in Antarctica. Like it, oh my gosh, it's just, and they're all talking about how beautiful it is and you hear the ice cracking underneath you when you're sleeping at night and I'm like, oh God, no, like I can't. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, I love the cold, but uh, it's it's a bit much. <laughs> and this reminded me of um, over the summer, I ran into... Um, there was like a when I was in Germany uh, visiting one of them my family friends had like a party and there were a lot of older people there and one of them had been a marine biologist um, up in Russia but at one of these like marine stations where you have to like wait for the food to get flown in and the people living there really only are there to kind of supply these scientists with it was such a environment that's just secluded from everyone and then to have a few like natives who just live there and that's i just can't imagine that 
like maybe yeah. for like a few weeks for like my research but to like build my whole existence around that i find that so I, i'm like despairing just thinking about it <laughs> i don't know yeah um so actually when i lived in colorado you know uh and after i had left whole foods um actually and a little bit before so i worked at a place called the institute of arctic and alpine research instar uh, and so like they regularly send people to like Northern Greenland and also McMurdo and a couple of other research stations in Antarctica. Huh. Um, and so like, I worked with the, the weird scientists who, who do this and like, can, you know, isolate themselves and, you know, for the sake of launching weather balloons or whatever. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's intense. Uh, and then also they don't talk about it here, but I've heard elsewhere that, um, like insanity is a real problem, uh, in Antarctica because, uh, all of your like surroundings are constructed buildings and there's no like trees or anything to look out on. Uh, there's no, you know, vegetation basically. And, uh, I believe the term that I've heard used and it's been a while since I've read this account, so this might not even be. Uh, and this might, this might be apocryphal, but like the term I've heard is like getting toasty is what they will refer to as slowly going crazy uh, in Antarctica. And like this one account I read was like they will often give you uh, like a journal and you write down five things you've done in a given day in that journal. And then over time, you will not even be able to write three down because you just won't have retained. People will talk about like blacking out and like waking up eating in like, the cafeteria where they just haven't retained anything else that has been happening to them recently. Really? So it's a weird, like falling in and out of consciousness. Uh, maybe it's improved, but back in the day, I guess, uh, it used to be a real hardship station, even beyond like the cold. Man, that's fascinating. Cause I was also actually thinking about how, um, how creative these people are that live there like everybody plays like an instrument like maybe it's because you don't have anything else to do um you know but it's not like me spending time scrolling through my phone and i'm like oh what did i do at the last hour like i didn't do anything which i've been trying to be better about but it's <laughs> i you always see these people kind of engaging in some activity but maybe that was just the framing of the documentary I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it could be framing. Um, it, it could be, you know, just like self-care kind of stuff. But also, um, I don't know, like field scientists are, are very much like this. Like if I hmm. was to go out in the field with a couple of people who I work with or whatever, like almost guaranteed one of them would at least play the ukulele. Uh, people would know like card games and stuff like that. There's like it's like a, a soft skill for, for field work that you have this other thing that you can pick up and do potentially. I did not uh, know I'm that. Really bad. Yeah. I'm, I'm really bad at it, honestly. <laughs> like I'm, I'm quiet enough and, you know, just spend most of my time in my own head where I have not developed like the cool social skill uh, for going out and doing field research. But yeah. Wow. Yeah, I getting think like this inside look into the science world. <laughs> Yeah, I did not pick this because I just wanted to talk about scientists. I really just picked it uh, for one scene in particular. Um, Which scene? Uh, the penguin one. Oh, I th okay. I'm confused about this. Okay, so in the movie, let me just explain really quick. Yeah. There is a penguin researcher, this really kind of reticent, you know, quiet kind of guy. And they catch footage of one penguin just waddling off um, away from the food and the water, like away from the flock or whatever you would call them, the pod, I don't even know. And he just runs off into the mountains where there's nothing there. And this penguin is going to die. And they say that even if you put that, even if you grab that penguin, which they're not allowed to like touch the penguin, and you put him back with its friends it'll still just keep going into suicide. And I tried to look this up and this is the only, everybody just reverts back to this documentary. So I, because I wanted to know, is there an actual like suicidal intent in that penguin? <laughs> or is he just like, you know, cause how other animals like dolphins, they can get 
depression, they can get like emotions like humans do, and they can actually commit suicide. And yeah, I don't yeah. know. I wasn't sure if that's what was happening with that penguin, or if he's just going. Like he just, you know, yeah. I don't know. And I guess they don't know, and nobody knows. So. Yeah. Can I? Uh, there's like two things to talk about. One, this gets back to your uh, your comments about uh, Werner Herzog being the rudest interviewer alive. Where <laughs> he's talking to this penguin scientist, and you know, as you said, he's not a very talkative dude. But like in the middle of one of his answers, or like before he asked one of his questions. Um, oh, I hear. I wrote down the quote. I tried to keep the conversation going. Uh, so like, that's the bit of narration, uh, which is him saying like, you know, so, uh, this guy is a huge pain to talk to, but for your sake, uh, dear viewer, uh, I have tried to keep the conversation going. So that's what this next question is going to be about. Literally just like, well, shoot, I traveled all the way out here. I have to get something out of him for you people. Uh, and the question he asked was first, uh, like Dr. Angley, I read somewhere that there are gay penguins. What are your observations? So, like, he tries to, like, give a provocative question about penguins, basically. And the scientist, is, you know, gives a very scientific answer about, like, well, there's misidentification. Uh, there's maybe something akin to, like, prostitution or whatever. These, like, really weird answers that you wouldn't normally get from a penguin scientist. Uh, all because yeah, Werner Herzog. Who's <laughs> talked to a penguin scientist? This is, like, a cool moment. <laughs> yeah, and it's this weird thing where, like, you get these questions asked because Werner Herzog is just like, this person is insufferable, but I'm down here. I have to shoot this stupid documentary, so I'm going to ask something. <laughs> and then the follow-up to that is what you were um, getting to. And I wrote down this quote, too. Um, is there such a thing as insanity among penguins? I try to avoid the definition of insanity like derangement. I don't mean that a penguin believes that he or she is Lenin or Napoleon Bonaparte, but could they just go crazy because they've had enough of their uh, colony? Like, imagine being a penguin scientist and someone asking you that question. <laughs> like, I can't even fathom the idea of like, you know, I'm not saying that a penguin thinks it's Lenin or Napoleon Bonaparte. He's just such a weird interviewer. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the scientist goes into the thing. We're like, well, some of them seem to di get disoriented, which is, you know, a scientist being careful about their language, uh, saying like, you know, I don't know about insanity, uh, but they do do this one behavior that is, you know, the only outcome is that it's their own like certain death, uh, where instead of marching to the sea to, you know, get fish and fatten up again, they instead walk toward like the interior of the continent. And yeah, like you said, if you turned them around, uh, they would just march back into the mountains. Like, yeah, I, and it, no one asked those questions ever. Like, it's not really part of a scientific paper anywhere. So, yeah, all, all other queries you could put to Google just bring you back to this because this is, like, yeah. the only time where someone has ever thought to ask if a penguin experiences insanity. <laughs> but, it, yeah, it's he's saying disoriented, but then he's also saying if you put the penguin back with its flock it still keeps going so is that really disorientation or is that like i'm on a mission to kill myself my brother is also like couldn't he couldn't stop talking about this to me because we were just like <laughs> penguins are his favorite animal and he was kind of like working while i was watching this movie and he he was just like mesmerized by it he's like what he's like, the penguin just goes up like, yeah and we just we just don't know we can't answer that question yeah and it's funny because like even even Werner Herzog's question maybe has the answer in it where he asked you know uh not like Lenin not that they think they're Lenin or Napoleon Bonaparte but uh could they just go crazy because they've had enough of their colony <laughs> and like that behavior almost seems like well yeah maybe maybe they just fucking hate being around other penguins <laughs> uh but, and, that, but that shows a certain kind of like emotional maturity that we don't expect from penguins, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, my other favorite thing about that uh, uh, moment where they're they're interviewing with the penguins is like he's asking that question, and instead of filming the the person he's asking it to, because uh, it's a long question. Um, they're just filming penguins doing penguin things uh, when they're just sitting on a nest, which is just waving their arms around and like pointing their head in the air and just kind of like making noise. So 
it's like heavily implying that like, well, everything penguins do is kind of insane. Look at this. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is the function of any of this behavior? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the penguin scene stuck with me. I'm glad your brother, <laughs> like, picked that one out, too. I think about that all the time. So, a little bit more about the station that they said in the documentaries. There's about a thousand people living there. Um, and do they have internet up there? I forgot to look this up. Um, I think they probably do now. Yeah, right? I would think so. I don't know what I, would I stop couldn't them. tell you anything more than that. And there's uh-huh. a, in the very beginning, the person he interviews goes, um, there's a certain person who lives in Antarctica who jumps off the margin. And I think it's kind of a perfect quote to set up this movie. Because yeah. the more people he interviews, the more you're like, these are very, like, strange people. You know? Yeah. Like, there was the, there was the one person, um, and I don't have her name written down, but she talks about all her adventures in the world until Vanna, like, cuts her off. She's talking about how she's gotten, like, kidnapped in Africa and so on and so forth. And then they cut to this... They have, like, a stage and, like, a performance thing set up. And they're talking about how her act is, like, one of the most popular ones. And she puts herself, like, in a duffel bag. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, no. I, yep. And then they cut off... They cut like holes into the duffel bag, and then she like walks around in the duffel bag. And I'm yeah. just, this is so upsetting to me. Why are you, you, why are you wasting this perfect? Why are we cutting holes into perfectly good <laughs> bags? I, how is this funny? Or like he, he will show something to us, but then not explain it. And I'm like, I don't get this, but I don't know if I'm, maybe I need to live in Antarctica to get this. Or, I, I don't know. It was just really strange. Yeah. Like, yeah, they first, like, cut holes uh, so she has her arms through. So you're not seeing her face. And then, like, some dude comes and lifts the bag up and she just has, like, her arm hanging out of it. And, yeah. And then this everybody, is- everybody claps. And I'm like, wait, what are you not showing me? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is very much like a, a talent show when you're down there and it's like stupid human tricks basically and like look we're all gonna be stuck together for a long time and we can't just like keep going back to our rooms or whatever we have to do something <laughs> but yeah no her stories were crazy we're like what was it she uh like climbed on the back of a truck that had like sewer piping and then rode like from some Central American country to some South American country, like just looking out of a sewer pipe, uh, smuggling herself across the border. Yeah, just. But then also, like, I didn't know why she was doing all these things. Like, she yeah, was no. putting herself into danger repeatedly. And I'm like, are you just like a thrill junkie or like, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I also was really unclear on that. And. Like, there are a lot of moments where um, it's obvious that, like, Werner Herzog is not a scientist, and he kind of just thinks that scientists behave totally, like, abnormally or whatever. And that's one of those moments where I'm like, was there exposition about that? And he's like, well, this isn't important. Like, this doesn't explain this any better. But, like, there's no scientific research that would require you to smuggle yourself across the border. (laughs) You have like review boards and it's strongly discouraged that you do highly illegal things, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then also he interviews this linguist who looks ridiculous. I'm sorry. He has like this weird like chin beard and I just, I'm sorry. I'm really judgy. Jason already knows this about me, (laughs) but like I don't get that chin beard bizarre. But he asks him like a really interesting, at least interesting to me, question but then he just interrupts him again summarizing it or he asks him like what his what his research was about but then like doesn't let him finish and then like Herzog like goes off into this whole thing about how we're letting languages die out like species and I'm like this is a really broad big issue that has a lot of factors in it and you're just like summarizing it really sadly while showing like pictures of plants and I'm like (laughs) it was just so upsetting because 
it is an issue that languages are dying out, but how much of that have we inherited from like colonialism and like the yeah. British going into places and like, no, you can't speak your language anymore. You know, like there's nothing we can do about, I mean, there is, but there's so many other factors involved. Like, and he goes on this little rant about it and I'm like, how did we get here? And this, I don't even know. Yeah, that scene I also had written down notes about because it was so bizarre. That was like after they had come back at four in the morning and because it's uh, uh, Austral summer, it, you know, just daylight 24 hours a day. Oh, so, God. Ugh. Yeah. So he's back <laughs> and it's four in the morning and every, like the whole station, you know, appears abandoned basically because everyone's sleeping. And so he like walks through that one building that he'd been meaning to go through and it ended up being a greenhouse or whatever. And, you know, it's just like shots of him walking around the greenhouse. And then the linguist appears with his weird chin beard, like out of, <laughs> out of nowhere. What is this guy doing up at four in the morning in the greenhouse? But he uh, never explained. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my cool guy theory is that they grow weed there because uh, there's oh, a lot of oh. Yeah, that could uh, be it. <laughs> <laughs> He also just looks like a guy who smokes weed. Um, but yeah, no, his whole explanation of that was like nonsense where the guy is like trying to unspool his like research and explain what he's talking about. And then like Werner Herzog's like explanation for what the guy was doing and like why he ran away from it makes no sense where no. he's like talking about how uh, it was thought that this like language itself uh, contained like white and black magics and uh, like the fools in academia like thought it had to be destroyed and I was like what had to be destroyed the the research the language what what are you talking about yeah, like there's... it was very cryptic <laughs> yeah in no way would an academic who hears that a language has like black and white magic being like well that's not worth studying because it's like evil or stupid or something like that no that's like fodder that's like such a good research thing yeah none of it made any sense and another frustrating <laughs> choice by werner herzog who's just like you know whatever this guy talks for a while <laughs> i got you <laughs> i can definitely summarize what this person is saying <laughs> <laughs> oh god um so something else i found really interesting is they talk about the volcano research um that goes on there and this is another job I would never have. They're like, oh, be careful of the rocks flying at you at the volcano. Yeah. I'm like, who li who lives here? I can't even. <laughs> um, but they talk. I I'm glad there are people out there doing that research, though. <laughs> um, but they talk about how uh, volcanic eruptions really affect the global climate. Um, and I don't think yeah. we realize how what are what's the word of it like the magnitude that this can happen at um because i recently found out that frankenstein one of my favorite books ever by mary shelley um was written during the year without summer have you heard about this uh yeah i yeah i, I did i had no though. idea i had no idea so this was during 1816 where it was just black and the sky is just always dark because the year before there was a volcanic eruption and this stuff was still circulating like in the air and you had this whole crisis in europe of crops not growing and i, I don't yeah, know i find yeah. it fascinating we never hear about it how it influenced all these writers and artists um i think there's a lot of pictures by turner that have this like washed out really oranginess like colors in the sky and that's mm. because he was alive during that time and we just had a bunch of like really bad fires here in california and the sky is just like this weird orange color from the smoke so i don't know yeah. i i just thought that was fascinating and yeah the movie's right it it's really important that we do pay attention to it and study it so yeah uh even in our lifetimes what was it uh mount pinatubo erupted in the 90s and I feel bad because I don't remember the specific year, but I mean, uh, it launched enough aerosols, you know, particulate matter <clears throat> up into the atmosphere that it, uh, it it cooled the planet for a couple of years there. So we had this like period where global warming was not <clears throat> really moving at the same pace. I, I mean, it was over enough of an area where 
uh, it drowned out the rest of the warming that would like otherwise be happening on the planet. So like huh. the planetary average was like slowed. So yeah, no, it's um, yeah, volcanoes are potentially really critical for planetary uh, function. And I mean, you know, there's plenty of theories about one or more extinctions being caused by uh, volcanic eruptions and like the Deccan traps. I think I'm quoting something. We're just like large swaths of like somewhere in Russia, I want to say were on fire and that was launching enough carbon in the atmosphere where it like blackened, like reduced radiation or like, I'm sorry, reduced uh, solar radiation and just like caused all this like disruption across the planet and led to mass extinction so fascinating fascinating crazy Um, stuff so something else i found interesting is they show um these research divers going into minus two degree um that celsius uh water but their faces aren't covered is that normal i feel like i would just instantly die like I, i hate the cold but like is that not weird being in water that cold and your face isn't covered like i don't know were they not covered? I assumed I I need to go back and look at that because that is fascinating. I yeah, assumed it was that their, like, it was their whole body, but then it was just a mask over their mouth. But then their eyes and like their face, you know, wasn't there wasn't like a mask over it or anything or goggles, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, I, I would have assumed that the goggles would have gone over it. I got I have no comments on that. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> notice that. Uh, yeah, but in that scene too, um, they also have some cool. I think it's worth watching the movie for these like sci-fi sounds that these seals are making. Like, yeah, the well water. Seal. Yeah, it's weird. It sounds like a spaceship from Star Trek. It's fascinating. I uh, I I mean, I watched this the first time and I didn't believe that there were the actual sounds that they were making. And then I watched it again this time and still didn't believe it. So I went and found like a YouTube video and there's like. Uh, so this has actually been documented in other ways and you can find like YouTube videos of like the Weddell seals on land. And it's like, if you heard them on land, it's not as weird as it is when they're underwater. It's still eerie, but you wouldn't necessarily think of what it sounds like underwater. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those audio recordings are incredible. Uh, and they're all from the same animal too. I thought I, you, you're hearing like crosstalk from different species signaling, but no, it's all Weddell seals. You would never, never, ever think that they would sound like that. That was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, anytime they went under the ice, which what do they call it? Like uh, going into the cathedral, which I thought was a great uh, term for it. Oh my God. Is that why he has that obnoxious mo- music all the time? Yeah. Cause it's called the cathedral. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Was- I'm sorry. I was going insane. Finish your thought. <laughs> Finish your thought. Uh- <laughs> I have comments on the, the music too, but yeah, that's, um, the, yeah, it's called going into the cathedral. So you're underwater and you have this like small entrance point basically. Um, cause the, the sea ice goes out pretty far. So they drill in this one area. Oh, yeah, this is insane. And they have to find their way back to this hole. Oh, my God, I would just die. Like, (laughs) how could you find your way back to this one? I'd be like hacking on the ice. Let me out. Like, oh, God, I just this whole movie was just me like gripping onto the couch. Like, oh, God, like, yeah, yeah, terrible. Uh, And they talk about like, you, you know, you have a line that you can use. Like, that's a normal diving technique, but they prefer the freedom of movement. So they oh. don't even use the line. So they're really totally relying on being able to find it again quickly. Um, but yeah, and <laughs> I, I'd like to think that I would probably not freak out. But as I was looking at that, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, you have like, what, 12 feet between you and the bottom. And you, it's just like, you know. I don't know how many meters of ice above you. You can't break through that. Oh, God. Yeah, just like oh, real. Oh, yeah, because they have... Um, so in the movie, they show them drilling into the ice, and it's a really large drill, right? It's yeah. not like ice fishing and you just hack it open. They, It's like a industrial tool that they have to use. Yeah, where they're like bouncing it up and down to like try to get that core up. Yeah, it's... That's uh, true, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's, there's no getting out of there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
I'm glad the music was like driving you insane. But like to a to a degree where I had to actually plug in headphones because my roommates were like yelling at me. They're like, "What <laughs> on earth are you listening to?" And I thought it was just because he was like a weird German guy who was, we have a lot of churches and like maybe that's what he was into. Like I I cannot even describe. Like at the end there was like a weird like a bass choir singing. Yeah. I, I couldn't even tell you like the pictures of these underwater environments because I was just like starting to get like <laughs> hypnotized by these. So strange. So strange. And at one point there was like a weird scratchy string that was supposed uh... to be like music. I, I just I've never seen such a bizarre like music choice in a movie before. I don't think. Yeah. Um I, I don't remember the scratchy string thing, but uh, it's almost like his music choice is almost patronizing in some ways. We're just like, I need to really, or I don't know if it was patronizing. It was probably more an effort to be like, I need to really play up some of these images. He gets plenty of like cool ones, certainly. And, you know, thematically it matches with the cathedral idea uh, in a lot of these places. Like there's another point where they're in the volcano or at the... Um, uh, at Mount Erebus, and they go into one of the thermal vents that carves out, uh, you know, the the ice basically, um, where they really uh, go heavy on the, the cathedral music as well. And that was such a funny scene for me because, like, there's maybe five seconds of really beautiful footage where um, there's clearly like freshly formed ice crystals that are really delicate and hanging, and you know, not just like icicles. I mean, like uh, intricate crystal formations and stuff. There's five seconds of footage of that. And then like 30 seconds to several minutes, I don't remember how long it was because uh, the music was hypnotizing me, where <laughs> they, um, it's just like him crawling through really tight spaces and kind of just like, you know, it's just ice or whatever. It's not really that remarkable. Oh, but yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah. They're going real hard on the cathedral music to like, you know, maybe it did feel like that when you're there. But for the most part, it looked like agony being the camera person trying to like crawl through these spaces and all that. Yeah, it was like these baritone in like monk incantations. Yeah. It, it it was really strange. Like it really for me took away from the movie. <laughs> that was my yeah. that's like my main criticism of this movie. I actually really like this movie. Just that just that music like that did me in. <laughs> yeah, they could have used some like yakety sax uh for a couple of these. But, <laughs> uh um, so, had, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I uh, also had another note in terms of, like, the cool characters they find. That um, that one welder who's, like, Aztec royalty, and he shows you his hands where the lines of all of his fingers are perfectly matched up. Do you remember that? But is that, because he was saying that, that people only have that when they have descended from this one line. Uh, and I yeah. didn't. I didn't Google if that was actually like a fact. <laughs> I like yeah, a genetic I totally, fact. <laughs> like, I did not either. But that was still like one of the like quiet, weird moments of just like who, who are these people <laughs> that like end up down here? And I know people who have ended up down there, so I have some idea. But like the like he shows you his fingers from the other side, and basically like his what his ring finger. And his middle finger are the exact same length, and his index finger and his little finger are the exact same length. And then when you flip them, so you like are looking at the interior of your hands and you see where the lines are, all of his lines are perfectly parallel. It's uh, not parallel, I'm sorry, they're perfectly in line with each other. You can draw a straight line from the index finger down through the pinky finger in terms of like where the joints were, which, you know, regardless of whether or not you're Aztec royalty or uh whatever is just i don't know that struck me as being like super cool i was like at home looking at my own hands being like whoa yeah and that guy didn't talk that much so vanna actually let the scene kind of have its own time i guess because he spent a lot of time on that on just showing that without him talking over it i feel like yeah uh, silence no music playing behind it it's just like hey let this guy unspool this story which you know was good <laughs> Um, I think something that not a lot of people realized and that I only found out about like last year is 
because if I like before watching this movie, I would have been like, well, what is there to study in these really cold waters? Like there's not because I think we associate the cold with not, you know, not life. That sounds really oh, bad. Fair, yeah. um, but because if you think about like diverse species and all these different kind of marine animals, you think like coral reefs. And while those have like the most species, because colder waters have more oxygen, there's actually more biomass there in general, even though it's not that diverse, which I didn't yeah. know. Like I would have never been like, oh, what I would have been one of those people who's like, what's there to study? Like there's what's can what can be down there? But yeah a lot actually so <laughs> yeah uh there's there's uh so in the scenes where they're underwater and you know looking up at the ice above them um there are algal mats that grow like on the underside of this ice so you just have this algae that attaches itself and somehow ekes out a living with whatever sunlight can pass through the ice um and so i mean those Algae is producing oxygen, it's cycling nitrogen and doing all this stuff. And like, we just didn't even pay attention to any of that and, uh, because we have never thought to look at the algae on the underside of ice. But it's one of those things of like, well, Antarctica and the Arctic Circle are huge. So if, you know, even if there's just a little bit of this in one area spread out over the entire area of like Antarctica or and like the Arctic Circle, there's a lot going on there. Uh, and it'd be worth actually keeping track of some of it. So yeah, there's tons of stuff. Um, one of the other things about Antarctica is, uh, you know, uh, I deal a lot with uh, climate change and things like that. And of course, ice melting is not a great thing. But one of the cool things that'll happen, you know, if all if we melt off a whole bunch of ice and like the the continent warms a bit more, is we're gonna have like tons of fossils. Uh, to look at. Huh. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, like, we don't have access to because it's under too much ice, basically. More so, global like, warming. More yeah, global exactly. warming. <laughs> <laughs> so let this go on record that I'm for global warming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, Australia and Antarctica stayed joined much longer than they did to, like, any other continents. So Australia has marsupials instead of like the the like mammal forms that we have in North America and that exist in like Asia and Africa. So they they're full of marsupials and they've developed all of these like species and these ecosystems that just center around marsupials. And if we get Antarctica unfrozen, then we're going to have a longer look into the past of, you know, really well-preserved fossils about like how did marsupials evolve, like what was like the common ancestor through all this stuff and just like a whole bunch of species that we've probably never seen before. So, you know, that is so interesting. That is awesome. Oh, huh. One last thing. It's also the place to find, uh, pieces of like, uh, comets. Um, it's one of the places that we've been able to find, uh, chunks of Mars, uh, that are on the planet because nothing happens down there. Like there's not a lot of, um, biological yeah. So, I mean, like you might get snow over it, but you're not getting like rainfall or something like that that slowly destroys rocks over time. So that's the place where you go if you want to find chunks of meteors or chunks of Mars and stuff like that. So it's a there's a lot of weird stuff going on in Antarctica where if you aren't thinking about it, you would never have any reason to suspect that it was half as cool as it is. Yeah. And people like there's this whole like rush to freaking Mars right now. Which is like, yeah. we have a million things and problems here. Like, I can't even get my phone to work, yet you want me to, like, <laughs> live on Mars? Like, we're not there yet. Like, but the South Pole wasn't even reached, like, the proper South Pole until 1911. The Mid-Atlantic yeah. mid Rift wasn't discovered until 1953. Like, before last century, people didn't even know there was topography on the ocean. They thought it was, like, a weird black abyss. Like, there is so much yeah. in the ocean that we have to discover yet. And people are talking about going to Mars. Like, screw Mars. Like, I don't care about Mars. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just... Like, yeah. the theory of sea floor spreading was developed, what, in the 60s? Like, te tectonics and all that stuff? Yeah, like, we didn't have tectonics until... Yeah, people don't, don't realize how new this stuff is. And how, like, and I feel, also feel like 
There's so much stuff that we can no longer discover because the planet has been changing so rapidly. Do you ever feel sad about that? I don't know. <laughs> like, like yeah, when I you, professionally feel sad about that, in fact. <laughs> when you read these statistics, like half of our species have died since the 70s or stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, well, that sucks. Like, we'll never find out about, like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I uh, I sent you that uh, photo of the Lin song, uh, the, the spotted Lin song. So yeah, I, I'm totally with you in terms of like species loss and things that we'll never know about. Um, Wait, like is, the that, is that an endangered species that you sent me? Because it legit looks like a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, so I recommend looking up the spotted Lin song as what is it? L-I-N-S-A-N-G. Um, it, uh, I don't know if it's endangered or not, but it doesn't live in a whole lot of places. Um, and it's also like uh, crepuscular, so it like is mostly active during dawn and dusk. So there aren't even a lot of good photographs of it. Um, but huh. I saw that, and I've been obsessed over it. I don't know its evolutionary history or whatever. But I mean, yeah, there's so much like cool stuff, uh, like the Tasmanian tiger. Have you ever seen a photo of that? I don't know that I have. Oh, it's uh, it's another marsupial. Uh, is that it's this... so? It's a smaller. That's a smaller cat thing, no, right? Oh it's no. Giant. Oh, I mean, it's like mind. as big as, it's not giant. It's like as big as a large dog or I don't know, kind of tigerish sort of thing. But uh, just has like the longest, like impossibly large mouth. It just looks prehistoric. And now it's history. Huh. Like it, the last one went extinct sometime in the last century. Oh, why would you but tell I mean, me this? Oh, <laughs> that's so sad. No, I mean, but this is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge bummer. We have, um, we're, we're losing a lot of stuff. And going back to your thing about the languages, too, we're just thinking about how we're all, like, kind of funneling toward just a couple of languages, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, to actually use professionally or that are going to stick around. It's a bummer. Oh, I got nothing. This is why I do what I do. <laughs> Where I'm like, uh, we should try to keep some of this. <laughs> And the movie does make uh, a lot of commentary on this too, which I don't, I didn't find it preachy, but I've heard criticism that it was perceived like that. I feel like he's just, maybe it's the tone he's using, but I just feel like he's just stating the facts at this point. Like this is what is happening to Antarctica. No, I don't know how yeah. did you feel about it. Yeah. Um, I wrote down the like long quote about it. Uh, but this is like another classic Werner Herzog thing where he starts at the the volcano and the guy's talking about volcanic processes and its impacts on like global cycles and things like that. Um, and then Werner just like uses that as a launching point for something that's not particularly related uh, where he's, you know, so volcano stuff, it's really cool. Uh, and then he starts in on like, for this and many other reasons, our presence on this planet does not seem to be sustainable. And like, no, the volcano has nothing to do with like oh, sustainability. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a weird transition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was like just an abrupt sort of thing where it's like, okay, and now I want to talk about this thing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so he gets into a lot of the stuff. I think I would definitely dispute the claim. Well, okay, I can't dispute the claim that uh, there is talk all over the scientific community about climate change. That part is true. Uh, I give that the, the seal of truth, uh, stamp that on. Uh, but then he's like, uh, many of them agree the end of human life on this earth is assured. Um, and I don't think there's consensus at all on that. That's a bit uh, dramatic, you would say? Yeah, that that is reaching uh, a lot. Um, I mean, of course, we're like worried about... Um, so, I mean, there's like papers that have talked about us living way, way, way beyond our means um, uh, and have pushed the planet kind of into really serious danger zones for a lot of things like nitrogen cycling, stuff like uh, all the fertilizers that we lay end up really messing up the ocean and rivers and stuff like that. Um, but for a lot of the stuff that he's talking about, it has more to do, honestly, with like human processes that like aren't really climate change related. Like species loss is mostly driven by uh, conversion of like landscape from, you know, like natural forest to like farmland and stuff like that. It's uh, like palm oil and, uh, you know, planting palm trees where there used to be forest for like orangutans and uh, things like that. So there's some stuff that he talks about where like, I think the broader point is still fine. And this was what, 2006, 2007? 
there still wasn't like great consciousness at the time or people taking climate change appropriately seriously. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give him a pass on all this. He didn't say anything where I was immediately just like, no, I cannot, <laughs> cannot let that sit. Um, there's just, you know, small points I would, I would maybe talk about. Um, he does talk about what human life is part of an endless chain of catastrophes, the demise of the dinosaurs being just one of these events. We seem to be next. And I don't know what he's talking about there. Like that's even just grammatically in terms of the words he's using. Just like, I don't, how is human life like the demise of the dinosaurs? Yeah, it which, sounds like dinosaurs were humans the way he's saying it, right? Yeah. Hey it's man, weird... it's not his first language, bro. Take it easy. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Uh, uh, yeah, no. And and it's like like what you said before, like, a lot of stuff that you're listening to from his words, you're like, oh, he's not a scientist. He's like, oh, he's a filmmaker. Like he's trying, yeah. he's trying to tell a story, and then sometimes he gets lost in his own story. I feel like. Yeah, or just like you know, I just want to get to this main point and whatever you know. I'm being almost uh, pedantic with like going through and like picking apart these small pieces, but it's just one of those things of thinking about like how I would talk about these things versus how Werner has chosen to do it. And, you yeah. know, he's a successful documentary filmmaker, so... And you're nobody, I? Jason. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I have zero documentaries to my name. I'm a humble uh, podcaster with a small audience, so I need to sit down. <laughs> uh, the other funny thing... Uh, I guess the last point that I had was him talking about the frozen fish that they found. Do you remember that scene where they like yeah. go under Mount oh, Erebus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, this is also continuing on with um, uh, the, you know, demise of human civilization and all of that. So we have this like space that we dug out under Mount Erebus where it's like negative 70 degrees. There's no like rain or snow that get into there. It's like a fairly, it's going to be a well-preserved place for a long time. So he was like getting into the idea of like humans blinked out of existence and like aliens came to the planet. And then, you know, for whatever reason, to hop down to the South Pole, uh, they would find like these cute little mementos that scientists and uh visitors to the south pole have left there that are just like images of like new zealand someone brought down a sturgeon like a fish and just left it there so there's like a perfectly preserved frozen fish down there uh and i thought that was like that's a very scientist sort of thing to do like for whatever reason we love talking or thinking about like, you know, what if we blink out of existence and aliens come down and then, you know, what would they even find or whatever? And I love the idea of, like, this frozen fish being in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I like that scene. Huh. Although, uh, also to be pedantic, where he was talking about it being the magnetic South Pole, uh, if it's, like, a thousand years from now or any extended period of time, the poles might actually flip. That's true. So. That's true. <laughs> And um, I don't know if the listeners know this, but the geographic South Pole and the magnetic poles are different. They're not in the same place exactly. Though if you're using a compass like here, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference. No. But yeah. No, I thought the, the little alien discussion was pretty cool. Uh, we we talk about that a lot. So. <laughs> and like uh, just another Werner Herzog sort of thing of like, I don't know, trying, he's such like a big picture kind of thing. He's antagonistic to a lot of stuff, but you could kind of tell even he was like, this is pretty cute or something along those lines, whatever the translation of that emotion is into Werner Herzog's yeah. world. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all. All you got? Yeah. Did you like it? I did. Oh, okay. I, besides that, like weird, weird Latin chanting, um, yeah, I, I did. Um, do you want to tell the people about your other podcast and what it's about? Oh, yeah. So uh, I am a graduate student researcher at Arizona State University working on a PhD studying how uh, we make cities more livable given um, the current state of extreme weather events like floods, droughts, and heat waves and how to keep cities livable uh, into the future given projections of climate change. Uh, we are called Future Cities Podcast, um, myself, uh, and then just a collection of other people in this research network that I'm part of. Uh, we all do a podcast together where we talk about 
uh, various like urban planning and climate change and extreme weather event sort of issues, anything from like infrastructure uh, and like trying to figure out how to plan for the magnitude of events that we've never experienced before uh, to uh, talking about social justice issues. Like I did an episode on um, how the undocumented community is like trying to cope with climate change and all these pressures and stuff. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Future cities. I think we're on all the major podcasting access places, probably not Earwolf, but you know, like iTunes and Spotify. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so you can find modern life pod, um, always at, uh, gmail.com. You can find us at Instagram, YouTube, um, email us if you want us to talk about a certain subject. Um, but yeah, Jason, thank you so much for being on. This was a lot of fun. Hey, happy to be here. Oh, and I'm glad you suggested this movie. <laughs> Good. I was really worried. No, it was perfect. <laughs> okay. All right. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>